Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Generation You Can. You Can delivers smarter energy powered by Superstarch. Their energy is smarter because it gives you steady and balanced energy without sugar or stimulants. No heart racing highs and no crashing lows. Just feel good energy for the body and mind. I have signed up to run the Boston Marathon and I think it's like 20 weeks away. I saw someone post that and I am planning to fuel during my training with Generation You Can. It's what I used for my last marathon when I ran a PR at the Monumental Marathon last year and I trust it. It's gentle on the stomach and the key is that steady energy that it provides. You guys listening can save 15% off UCAN products when you use the code ANOTHER. So go to shopgenerationucan.com and use the code ANOTHER to save 15% off your order. All right, guys, today you're listening to episode 154, and I'm talking with Lori Knowles. Lori is the 2018 champion of the CNO Financial Indianapolis Monumental Marathon. Not only is she the champion, she broke the course record this year. She ran a time of 237.50. Lori is 41, so she's a master's runner. So Lori has also qualified for four different Olympic marathon trials. She will be towing the line in 2020 in Atlanta, which happens to be her hometown. So that'll be fun, a hometown race. But she also ran in the Olympic trials in 2008, 2012, and 2016. She's the mother of two, and she is an inspiring woman. Her husband runs too, so we get to talk about that a little bit and just their family life. And I really admire her positivity and the way she approaches the sport. I know you guys are going to love my conversation with Lori. And by the way, guys, Lori and I talk about this in the episode. The Monumental Marathon is a fast race. It's a fast course. If you're looking to run a Boston qualifier, qualify for the Olympic trials, if you're looking to break three hours, break four hours, do any kind of time-oriented goal, the Monumental Marathon is a great place to do that. And the first 1,000 people to register on January 1st, 2019, get a discount. So if you guys go to monumentalmarathon.com, you can check out more information around that. And what you need to know is that's my hometown race. So my heart is very much with the Monumental Marathon. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get this conversation started with Lori Knowles. All right, well, today on the podcast, I am excited and honored to introduce Lori Knowles, the 2018 CNO Financial Group Indianapolis Monumental Marathon Champion. How are you, Lori? I'm great. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. Man, that was a mouthful. <laughs> it was. It was a, I was really impressed you knew all the words. Well, I have notes, to be fair. Okay, perfect. perfect. <laughs> this is half of the reason why I do audio and not video. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, it's a mouthful. Yeah. So um, let's not fail to mention that not only are you the 2018 champion, but you're also the new course record holder. I was, which was really exciting. I actually, um, the person who held the record before was a friend of mine and it was somebody I knew we had lived in Charlotte for a while and it's someone I knew there. So it was kind of fun to get a friend's record. Oh, totally. Now who, who yeah. was the record holder before you? It was Alana Hadley and okay. she was a woman that had been won it when she was like 16. And I think she came back when she was 18 to set the record. Yes. And I remember that because I don't know if you know, but I live in Indianapolis yeah, yeah. So she was, it was kind of a big story when she did oh, it. Oh, totally. So I'm just a couple years older than her. Just a little bit, right? Just a couple, yeah. Just a couple. <laughs> um, now, because I noticed when I was looking through the records, I knew Alana was on the list, and I thought she mm -hmm. held the record from 2014, but I think I noticed that the second place female this year actually also broke the record, but was right behind, was behind you. She was. And she was actually in front of me for... 25 and three quarters of a mile. No way. And then, yes, I passed her about the last 800 or 1,000 meters. Oh, so wow. it was kind of a fun race. Um, the way they have it set up for the people, the first and second place, they have bikers that are biking along with you as escorts. And so the entire race, I could kind of hear just where she was because at every mile stop, they would um, radio up ahead and say, 
you know, second place, Lori, bib 120 or whatever, and they tell my time. But about a minute or two before that, the whole time I could hear exactly where she was. So it was really kind of neat. You could watch, you know, I could listen and see her race play out while I was running mine. Wow. Did that, so was that excite you or did it make you nervous? Like, do I think I have it in me to go catch her? You know, the first eight miles of the race, I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can get her. This is going to be fun. I know right where I am. And then she ran just beautifully the next, let's say, 10 to 12 miles. And I was talking to the biker at one point and I was like, you know, second place is okay. I'm, I'm kind of happy here. This is going to be fine. And then I just kind of started noticing her times were getting a little bit slower and mine were getting a little bit faster. So at about mile probably right at about mile 25. I knew I could get her, but I also knew she was pretty darn quick. So I knew I had to be pretty strategic about where I passed her. You know, I didn't want to wait too late and have it get down to a kick because that would not have worked out well for me. But I also didn't want to pass her too early and give her time to respond. So it was kind of fun that normally I think at the end of a marathon, you're just sort of hanging on and you're like, oh my gosh, please don't die. Like where in the world is the finish line? And at this point, I was actually thinking of other things, which made it go by a little bit quicker. Oh my gosh. Okay. So did you know her? Is it, is it her Amani? Is that her name? I think that's how she pronounces it. No, I met her for the first time that morning. Okay. I mean, so... I, knew, I knew who she was. She holds the um, national record for Sri Lanka and she's been an Olympian. I mean, she was until recently, I believe she's been coached by Brad Hudson. She's a great runner, but um, we had not met in person before. Oh, gosh. Is she one of the many people that just stopped being coached by Brad Hudson? She is. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting storyline in itself. Well, that could be another podcast for you. This is true. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to dig into all of the details of Monumental. Um, mm -hmm. It's obviously a race that's like everybody who listens to this podcast knows how obsessed I am with it because it's my hometown yeah. race. Um, but let's get to know you a little bit. You yeah. are the mom of two. I am. I've got an eight and a half year old boy, Cooper, and I have a three year old little girl named Mimi. Okay. Oh, Mimi. I love that. Yeah. She's named after my mom. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. It's we fun. always called my great grandma Mimi. And then my, my grandma, while she was still alive, my kids called her Mimi. So that was like oh, her thing. I don't sweet. know that my mom's yeah. ever going to take it on though. Cause I feel like she thinks it's like a great grandma thing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like she doesn't want to feel person. that old. <laughs> exactly. That is so sweet. Okay. So um, two kids, you mm -hmm. are a stay at home mom now, but what did you do before that? Well, um, I had a variety of different jobs. Um, I have an MBA from Georgia Tech. I went to Arkansas for undergrad MBA from Georgia Tech, and my background was in organizational behavior and marketing. So I did a bunch of different stuff in the corporate world, like I um, did development and training and some HR roles. And kind of liked a lot of different things, but my husband traveled a lot for work and I was traveling a lot right before I had my first child. So it was just not going to really work, you know? So, um, for a while I worked for my dad and we just did kind of a small family business for fun, which was great. And then that was in the construction and renovation industry and the market tanked back in 2008, 2010. So um, kind of stopped doing that and I've just been staying home. Now I'm a soccer mom and a room mm -hmm. mom and a volunteer at my kids' school. And I'm kind of always running a million different directions everywhere. So no one job now, just more focused on the family. Now tell me this, was that a hard transition to make? Because I, a lot of people are making that decision, you know, like, do I stay mm -hmm. home? Do I keep working? And man, if one of, if one of you travels a lot, it's really hard for the other one to work full time and it, it not to mention if you both travel. Exactly. Um, it was hard. I, you know, I really want, my mom stayed home with us until I have a twin sister and my mom stayed home with my sister and I until we were in like sixth grade. And I really appreciated the fact that she did. And I always thought that was something in an ideal world I would like to be able to do with for my children. But at the same time, I think, you know, now we're having children a little bit later and you spend a lot of time building your career up and you have goals for yourself, for your career, that it's very hard to let them go, you know, and it's hard to say, okay, I'm going to take a step back from where I am professionally to focus on the kids. And I don't know, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer on which way you should do it, but it's not an easy decision for women to make at all. Now you say you're the class mom, which is something that... Yeah. I work part-time and I'm home yeah. half the time. And 
it's something I personally, I look at the moms who are doing this and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're a saint. Like I could never do that. It's not, it's not my heart's desire, but tell me about that. Tell me about that experience. Oh my gosh. It's not, I mean, truly, I think I spend more time filling up sign up geniuses <laughs> than, than I do doing actually work or like answering calls about uniforms, you know, I mean, not that big of a deal, but I, I love my children's school and it's just nice to be involved in the classroom and be able to help the teachers who do such a good job with the kids. Okay. So, um, that's just funny too, because I don't know what this book really entails, but we do a book club with this podcast. I mean, a mm-hmm. small handful of people follow along and we picked this book called class mom, uh, for December. Ooh, it sounds interesting. <laughs> I know. And supposedly it's not just a book that if you have children, you would be interested in. Okay. It's like a funny book, but I haven't started it yet. So I just thought that was kind of funny given the circumstances that you are. Yeah. How did you pick it? I didn't pick it. I have a Facebook group and one of the girls in the group, a couple of, so I started the book club and it's just kind of been something that like I have uh, slowly realized I might not have the time to facilitate it. And so two really sweet girls that are in the group are kind of taking over that aspect of it and they picked it out. And so um, I think it's just going to be a fun, easy read for December. Fun and easy is really good in December. Yes, for sure. <laughs> Nobody has time for deep stuff right now. That's right. So yeah. talk to us about growing up and running. You said your parents were runners yeah. and you followed them to the Boston Marathon after year after year. Yeah, my parents were both um, marathoners. They were more recreational than super competitive, but my mom especially was really fast. I mean, I don't know that my mom ever ran more than 35 miles in a week. And she ran like a 310 marathon. I mean, she's quick. And even she is um, nearly 70 now. She's 68. And she can still run amazingly well, which is really exciting and inspiring to watch her do that. But yeah, my sister and I would go with them every April and watch them do Boston. And I remember just getting chills watching everybody come through the finish line. And I always knew, you know, I would like to do that someday. But I can't say that I was ever pushed to run. Um, We grew up, my family moved around a lot when I was younger. My dad had a job that he would tend to get transferred every, you know, 18 months to two years. So we never in one place all that long. So we kind of would pick up whatever sport was in the location where we were living. Um, We lived in Connecticut for a while and did swimming lessons in Long Island Sound. Or we moved to Cleveland, Ohio, and all of our friends played softball. So we'd pick that up. And um, my twin sister was really sporty and she was really good at everything she did. And I was not, I was always <laughs> fast, but I had zero hand-eye coordination to the point of, I was asked to be the basketball scorekeeper because I was <laughs> that bad. I mean, I just couldn't do it. Or when we played softball, I had friends that were the refs and they would just tell me, please don't hit the ball. Please just don't swing. Cause if you can get to first base, if you're walked, you know, I'm going to get to home plate, you know, I'm going to make, get a run, but there's no way my you know back can make connection with the ball. Cause I had no talent. So running sort of came naturally to me because it was the only thing I could do. So <laughs> it was, um, in seventh grade, I started, um, really running you know, a little bit more seriously. And we had a good little middle school team and I just loved it and kind of kept at it. And then maybe by probably my junior year in high school, I realized I was, you know, pretty decent at it and that this was something that I could possibly do in college and beyond. And at that point, you know, I still wasn't doing like, I guess what we would call workouts today. You know, I would just go out and run four or five miles a day and call it a day. But I realized that there was some future there and that I had the potential to do a little bit more. What kind of team did you run on in high school? I mean, what? where were you living at the time? Was that still at the Ohio? Time, yeah, at the time we were in Ohio. We were in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I started at Hudson, which is our local um, public school, and ran there for a couple of years. And then actually transferred to Beaumont, which was an all-girls school, and had an amazing team at Beaumont. Um there was a girl, Katie Radkowicz, that she was second or third at Foot Locker a couple of times, and she was the top runner on her team. And then another girl, Candace Nicholson, that was like a 206-800 runner. And so I was like the third person on the team, and I was still running, you know, a 10-32 mile. So it was pretty amazing how much talent we had on that one team those years. So it was a really fun place to be. Um, our coach, Jim Emery, 
was just amazing, did not push us over, over at all. I think our longest run was 10 miles and, you know, we do very, very, very minimal workouts, but he just instilled a love of running in all the girls that he coached. And we had really successful teams. In fact, um, you know, Emily Enfield, yeah, she was actually coached by that a couple of years later, oh, but really? by, by Mr. Emery at Beaumont also. Yeah. So he oh, always yeah. had an amazing tradition of really good athletes. Yeah. She, I forgot. Yeah. She's from Ohio. I didn't know mm-hmm. realize that was her coach too. Were you guys racing? Cause when I was in high school in Indiana, back in like 2000, we were, we raced uh 4k and the mm-hmm. boys raced 5k. Did you guys race a 4k? No, um, in cross country, we raced a full 5k. You did. I think it was just an Indiana thing. I mean, cause I think that the women's teams are running, or I should say girls in high school, yeah. but I think they're running 5k's now. But I remember always thinking, I'm so glad we don't have to run that extra K that the guys have to run. <laughs> See, and I'm the contrary. Like I would have wished we could have done a 10k because I always got better. better as a gun liner, but if, the fa- if it was too fast, it was not going to be so good. I remember that we would go to Indiana cause, um, Actually, they used to have a big thing called like the Midwest Meet of Champions. Okay. I don't know if you ever did that, but they would get all the surrounding Midwest, you know, the best people from the Midwest and everybody would run together. And I actually used to run against um, Amy Yoder at the time, who is now one of my coaches and one of my best friends. And she and I would race against each other. Well, she would beat me, but we would (laughs) run against each other in... um, these different Midwest meets all through high school. Oh, that's so cool. No, I was never fast enough for that kind of stuff. <laughs> so you were number three on your really good team. I was I like, really like yeah, I was like number four to six on a like, okay team. <laughs> but it's, it was just so much fun. Cross country in high school is just the best. Okay. So let's talk about that though, because you, mm-hmm. you talk about how running the best thing about running for you is the friendships in your life. Yeah. And I mean, mm-hmm. My gosh, your bridesmaids were from your high school cross country team. Your yep. coach now was someone you used to run again. And your husband, did he run in college? My, he did. My husband ran at Arkansas, as did I. And so we started dating my last year of college, and we've been married now 16 years. Aww. So, yeah, he was also, he was a faster, he's 800 miler. Okay. So he's done some runs. He's done a couple marathons, which is not his cup of tea. But um, him and I have a good time doing shorter stuff. We've paced a lot of half marathons together and like more as volunteer opportunities. Like we paced the 130. I think this spring we did a 135 pace for a half marathon in Georgia that we led a big group for that. So him and I still have fun running together. We probably run together once or twice a week. No, that's so fun. I've never actually officially paced a marathon or half marathon with my husband as like an official pacer, Mm -hmm. but we've both paced races separately and I want to do it together. I think that sounds so fun. Oh my gosh. It's so much fun. He's a better pacer than I am because I'm too conservative. In my mind, I kind of want to put like a little bit of money in the bank, you know, and save, Uh save some extra time. Whereas he tends to be just right at exactly at the pace we're supposed to go, but we're a good, we're a good pair. So when, when people are running, what, like what races have you guys paced together? We've done the Atlanta half marathon, the Georgia half marathon. The Atlanta used to have a full marathon that we paced in October, but they don't do that one anymore, but we've done quite a few. So it's, it's really fun. The Atlanta track club does a fabulous job for their bigger events of getting um, pace teams together and having them on every five minute interval. Oh, that's so fun. they get a lot of, yeah, they get a lot of the best runners in the area that do that, which is just a lot of fun. And are you guys, are you guys in Atlanta? Or we, are, we are, we live right in Atlanta. Oh, cool. Yeah. I saw on your Instagram some, or someone took a video or I don't know how I ran across this, but if you like oh, on, on the bikes at on the, the Indianapolis extra, oh, airport, I'm so embarrassed was that, that your, was it on your Instagram? <laughs> Whose Instagram was it? No, it was not on my Instagram. Chrissy Peterson, who I adore and just love her. I was in the airport. Well, I need to go back. I tend to get really sore after a marathon. And I'm like one of those people that kind of like, literally I've gotten stuck in the bathtub before, like not been able (laughs) to make it up a curb. I mean, I'm just, I put it all out there, which is awesome, I guess. But then the next day I can't move. So um, I done, long story, but I had done um, Indy kind of as a last minute change. I was supposed to do CIM and ended up going to Indianapolis. 
And so I went by myself since it was last minute. And um, when I had a great time, finished the run, ran to the airport because I had to um, get home that night for some family stuff. And once I got to the airport, they had these bikes that charged your phone. And I was like, this is amazing. Not because I wanted the workout, but because I was like, this is going to help me keep from getting so sore. Mm-hmm. And then even better, there's a candy store right across. So I was like, <laughs> you know, if I just bike for a little bit, I'll go get some candy. Everything's going to be great. Not thinking I would see anybody I knew. But all of a sudden I hear Lori, Lori. And it's this sweet, lovely woman that I've run against a million times who's dying and asking what in the world was wrong with me. Did I not get enough exercise <laughs> doing the marathon that I felt like I had to get more? And so I was trying to explain it, but it almost came across even worse, you know, because then you're like trying to justify that I had to eat, get more footsteps in to go to the candy store. And I was like, oh my God, this is so not me. People are going to think I'm crazy. I was like, I am so not like this, but it totally came across. Oh, I thought it was funny. I, I viewed it as you were flushing your legs out. I was, that was the plan as I was flushing my legs out and killing time at the airport. (laughs) And it came across like I was crazy. So I'm I'm sorry. I promise I'm not. So at least not like that. So did Christy, did, did she run the marathon as well? She did the half. Oh, the half. Okay. Yeah, she did the half. So so were you traveling alone? I was, yes. It was just me. Um, one of my track club teammates, Sally Post, was there. And so um, I saw her once I was there, but it was just me at the race. Hey, everybody. I want to jump in real quick and thank a sponsor who helps make this show possible to put out every single week, and that is RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar. Their bars are made with 100% whole ingredients. RX bars come in 11 delicious flavor varieties. There are three new flavors that hit the market last spring. That's mango, pineapple, peanut butter, and berries, and chocolate, hazelnut. They also recently introduced RX nut butter, made with the same core ingredients as RX protein bars. The new nut butters include a base of nuts, peanuts, or almonds, egg whites, and dates. Available in honey, cinnamon, peanut butter, peanut butter, and vanilla almond butter. So RX Bar's core ingredients do all the talking. It's simply like eating three egg whites, two dates, and six almonds with no BS. RX Bar's are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free. They have no added sugar, no artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. This is a great breakfast on the go snack. I love giving RX bars to my kids. My two-year-old Russell specifically likes them and it makes me feel really good because I know he's getting good wholesome protein. And I love them myself to throw them in my bag and take with me on the go. So guys, for 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash Lindsay and enter the promo code Lindsay at checkout. Again, for 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash Lindsay and enter the promo code Lindsay at checkout. Thank you, RxBar, for supporting this episode of the podcast. And one more thing I wanted to mention to you guys while I've cut in really quick is that I have created marathon training plans on my website, lindsayhine.com. Go to my shop and you will find them. I've created a beginner, intermediate, and advanced training plan. Now I do take on one-on-one coaching clients, but I decided to create a plan for people who are looking for a less expensive way to get some coaching guidance and to get a solid training plan. It's 18 weeks. There's a beginner, intermediate, and advanced. In that package, it's a PDF. I provide you with a specific guided pace chart for paces for workouts and easy runs from anywhere from if your goal is from a three-hour marathon to a five-hour marathon. I also had videos created that are linked on the PDF. And in those videos, I provide my pre and post run routine as well as the strength routine that I recommend to be done once a week with a marathon training plan. I put a lot of work into these training plans. I hired a graphic designer. I hired a videographer because I really wanted to make sure that it was a solid, good product. Glenn and I worked together to create the marathon program. It is very much based on the kind of training that I do myself. I will likely follow the intermediate plan for my Boston training. I might add a little bit of hills in there that aren't in the general plan, 
But I highly recommend this if you're looking to run your first marathon. The beginner plan is a great plan. If you're looking to improve your time, run faster, the intermediate plan is a great option. And then as well, the advanced plan. If you are someone who is a high mileage runner, I think that advanced plan peaks out around 65 miles. You can find that information um, at lindsayhine.com. All the information for what each plan peaks out at and all those details is on the website. So again, that's lindsayhine.com. Check out those training plans in my shop. And for those of you wondering, I am going to get half marathon training plans up soon. But for now, I launched with the full marathon training plans. It's a great time to think about that if you're planning to tow the line for a spring marathon. If you are looking for coaching specifically, though, you can email me as well, lindsay at lindsayhine.com to get more information about those services. All right, let's continue my conversation with Lori Knowles. So you were originally going to do CIM, which makes yes. it kind of tricky because, I mean, that's a good like six weeks or five it, weeks. You know, it's this weekend. It was a big change. Um, the plan all along is we had moved from Charlotte to Atlanta this spring. So the spring was kind of a wash training wise and I just hadn't, you know, done a time. And then, um, but with the idea that my the entire Atlanta Track Club group was going to go to CIM, we we're going to all run really fast. It was going to be amazing, blah, blah, blah. And it looks like it will be amazing. And I'm super excited for my team that's going there this weekend. But um, at the end of July, my dad was diagnosed with acute leukemia. And kind of all my fall plans just obviously went haywire. Um, I ended up, they live full-time in, um, Keough Island, South Carolina, okay. which is about five and a half hours from Atlanta. So almost all fall, I was there probably every second or third weekend going back and forth, you know, trying to help. He ended up hospitalized for like four or five weeks straight and then was doing chemo as an outpatient a lot of the rest of the time. So it's been kind of an intense fall for my family the good news is um, they had recently in October found that he's a candidate for a transplant, which is really intense and really crazy. And it will be done here in Atlanta. And they're going to actually do that next week, um, which is amazing. And we're super excited because it's if you have acute leukemia, you're not going to get cured from chemo alone. You know, your best chance for a cure is through a transplant, but a transplant's pretty risky, pretty intense, and it's going to be 100 days of 24-7 care. So knowing that he's going to be doing that and he's going to be doing that in the town I live in, it was like I know how much is going to be required of me going forward, and I want to be there, and I want to be able to do things and help him and help my mom. But anyway, so CIM is like the week of his transplant. Yeah. You know, it, there's just – it was absolutely not going to work. So I sat down with my coach, um, coaches, Andrew and Amy Bagley. And, you know, as I was saying before, they're my friends and I've known them for forever. They know my parents, you know, they totally get where I'm coming from. And I just said, you know, CIM's out. There's just no way that's going to happen. Should I just call it a day and just, you know, I'd already had the Olympic trials qualifier for next time. So I wasn't worried about that. But, you know, we talked and we said, OK, training has actually gone fairly decently. And um, even though my schedule's been crazy, I've gotten most of my long runs in. But, you know, my training cycle is not nearly as long as it normally would be. So we decided, why don't I just jump in um, Indy, which is what I did, knowing that I'm like missed about five weeks of training and so I missed some long runs. I missed a lot of key workouts, but kind of with the idea of, okay, I'll do Indy at 80% or 90% or whatever it ended up being. And then, you know, ideally maybe jumping grandmas or something like that if life settles down next summer to get a good one more good run in before the trials. So that was kind of the plan and just to go with Indy and see what happened. And I'm really glad I did, you know, um, race week both of my kids were homesick from school oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, always happens one, that way always one of those right and it was like one of those weeks that I was when I was getting on the plane Thursday I thought I had strep throat I was like oh my god I shouldn't even go like this is crazy what am I doing but I'm so glad I did I mean the, everything about it was it was the right decision and it's allowed me now that the race is over to really focus on my family and focus on helping my parents and being there right now without having to worry so much about running or anything like that. 
Yeah, that's so important. And I think it's good that you made the adjustment. I mean, sometimes I think runners take themselves a little bit too seriously and (laughs) kind of like what's important. Yeah. You want to get your run in, but like taking care of your dad trumps all. Exactly. I mean, there's no marathon that is important as important to me as this is. And at the end of the day, this is what matters is being there for him, but that doesn't preclude you from doing other things and doing things you want to do, but they just have to be secondary. Totally. Now, Let's talk about monumental now that we're yeah. now that we've approached uh, we've broached the topic. Let's get into it. Okay, so you ran two a high two thirty seven. Your PRs two thirty six oh one. When did you set the two thirty six oh one? I set it at Chicago a couple years ago. Okay, and you're forty one. I'm forty one. Yes, she's I a am. masters runner. <laughs> I love these masters runners, like just taking care yeah. of business out there. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, it's it's. The cool thing is, is that you're running, you're a master's runner, but you're winning a race like Monumental, which is not a small marathon. No, it was, I mean, it was really exciting because I think as a master's, it kind of gives you like a start over point, right? That you have something else you're shooting for, you know, and okay, bottom line, I want to win the master's division of any race I enter. Sure. But then... After that, it's like, okay, but I still can be competitive enough in most races that I can try for overall stuff, which is fun. Yeah. So are you, do you have desires to go after that 236 again? You know, I think, I think in a perfect world, if I had done CIM this year, I think I would have been able to get to PR. I think Mm -hmm. those five extra weeks. Yeah. I think those five extra weeks, I do think a 235 was definitely possible. That being said, I mean... I've qualified for four Olympic trials. I've done a lot more than I would have ever thought, like my 20-year-old self would have thought I was capable of. So if I can PR again, great. And if not, like there's a lot of other goals I can, you know, accomplish and achieve. You realize that time really isn't everything. And at the end of the day, like running a 237 to win a race to me is more exciting than running a 235 Mm -hmm. and being 10th in something else, you know? So it kind of just all depends. Yeah. Because I mean, CIM is like notoriously known to be a very fast course. Yes. And you had those extra five weeks, but Monumental is a fast course too. Monumental is a beautiful course too. And was, I mean, I just can't get over how well they ran it, how it was so easy in terms of like, you could get to the starting line easily. You could stay at hotels that were, well, I guess Trump was there that weekend, which oh, that's a little, right. a little, little bit grounds. crazier. Yeah. Yeah. He was like staying across the street from where the start was. And so even as a what? few minutes before they were like, okay, hopefully his motorcade's not going to leave like right when the race is starting. Because he's not going to care about he the race. He doesn't care about the monumental <laughs> race, unfortunately. But um, yeah. So, but for the most part, I mean, it was just logistically, it was so easy. Indy is such a great town to be in. And it was just a fun, fun race. I would, it's one of those I came home from and I said to all my friends, I was like, this is a race you have to do. It's like a bucket list race. Cause it was just fun. And the colors of the fall trees were amazing. And, you know, yeah, normally you're not like racing a marathon, looking around at the trees or the pretty houses, but I kind of was, and it was really pretty. It's just a gorgeous race. Yeah. I love that about monumental. And I always say that it, the start line is so easy logistically. And sometimes I think, well, maybe that's just cause I know it so well, I know exactly where to park and what to do. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's a big enough race that you feel the crowds and the energy from that, but also right. small enough that like logistically things are simple. Right. Like, I mean, New York or Boston is amazing and you can't say enough wonderful things about either of those races, but having to take a bus out to the Uh, starting line is just kind of a pain. So much work, right? And like loading up all your extra layers of clothes and all your extra food because you're sitting at the tent first. I mean, it's just a lot more work. Whereas in this one, I just kind of walked out of my hotel room and was there. So it was just so easy. I know. That's why I always say I want to run Boston and New York for fun and races like Monumental to race. Trace, totally agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, and, and that, yeah, they do run you up through Meridian Kessler, which is like, there's some beautiful houses on Washington Street, and then you kind of go over through Butler. What was your favorite part of the course? Oh, the finish line? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I loved, and I don't know the name of the street, but when all those big, big houses were on either side, Probably Washington. I think it was Washington. It was just so pretty and everybody was still decorated for Halloween. Mm -hmm. It was just really cool. Yeah. That street 
in particular on Halloween is like a dream street. Like we, we live a little bit further South, but like that is the place to go trick or treating if you live in the neighborhood, because it's just like the houses go all out and it's just like, it seems like you're in a movie when you're out on that street. (laughs) I was running with a guy at that point. Him and I were talking, and I was like, I bet they give full candy bars. Oh, sure. And he was like, yeah, he's like, no fun size stuff for these houses. It's <laughs> so, like definitely yeah. a competition, like all the decorating. and Yeah. It's so fun. We've actually, when we lived up in Broad Ripple, we went trick-or-treating over there a couple times because the street we had lived on didn't like really have trick-or-treating for the kids. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about the race then. You yeah. said you were in second place for almost the entire race. I was in second place essentially from when the gun went off till wow. the last 800. Yes. Okay. So, and you said you were running with a guy. Was Did he run with you most of the time or was it just a random thing? Uh, it was just a random thing. Um, after a couple of miles, you know how you just sort of fall into place with somebody? Yes. And him and I were just running very similar pace. And so it was really nice to have somebody to kind of, he wasn't like annoying chatty. He was just like the good <laughs> level. <laughs> you know, we've all had the annoying uh-huh. chatty when they don't stop. Or the people that like sit and breathe heavily and don't talk. And that's kind of equally annoying. But he was like the perfect mix that we just talked a little bit. You know, he lived just outside of Chicago. He had kids. We got all that and that's about it. But it was nice just to have company. So I ran with him probably through maybe 18 or 19 miles. And then he picked up a little bit or I slowed down. I'd prefer to think that he picked up. And then um, he ended up finishing like a half minute in front of me. Oh, did you connect afterwards? I did. Yeah. So it was fun. I was like, thank you so much. And, you know, so it was good to talk to him. He's like, I just ran with the women's winner half of the race. (laughs) I don't know about that. But yeah, he was really, it was nice to have somebody because it does space out a little bit. Yeah, it does. You you can be by yourself for a while. Yeah. Especially when you're in the top, top. I mean, even when you're back at like three hour pace, you're, you're pretty spaced out. But if you're running a 237, you're really spaced out. You're spaced out a bit. Yeah. Well, you can, you know, it's enough that you can see people in front of you or know that there's people behind you, but you're not necessarily running right with people. Now, when going into the race, you knew what mm-hmm. the course records were. Mm-hmm. Did you think I might be able to grab that? Were you going for that at all? Or did it just happen? It just kind of happened. I mean, I knew, I knew that the time was something I was more than capable of doing. I didn't know if I would do it. I mean, it really like, Nothing about this marathon leading up to it went to plan, you know, from the race week didn't go to plan. The training didn't go to plan in terms of it was so much shortened. Like I saw, you kind of don't know what to expect. Um, the, actually the week of the race, you know how sometimes your legs feel so good that week of the race and you're so ready to run and you can hardly wait till race day. Mm-hmm. I ended up taking two days off the week of the race because I just didn't want to run and it was cold and yucky out. And I was like, I just don't feel like running today, (laughs) which that is not how I normally approach a race. And everything about it was just a little bit different. So I figured it was either going to work out really well for me or could, I could totally have a terrible experience. So I'm really glad that it went well. Yeah. Because you, so going in, you knew you had the potential to a break the course record and B win Mm -hmm. the race. I mean, when you, when Mm -hmm. you towed the line, knowing that you weren't towing the line of like Boston or Chicago, which let's be honest, you could have placed in Boston this year. I wasn't going to (laughs) win this year, but like normally, like I did New York last year and I think I was like 20th or something. Okay, I'm not going into New York. Yeah. Like I wouldn't go into New York thinking I was going to win it, but yes, I knew that the possibility existed, but I would have had to have a good race. Yeah. Not a great race, but a good race. Okay, so tell us about breaking the tape. Have you broken the tape of a marathon before? Have you run any? Never, never for a marathon. Um, What was that like? It was really fun. It was exciting. And it, um, yeah, it kind of got like caught up in me and I couldn't get it off at the end, which was a little bit embarrassing. (laughs) But like, it was good. I mean, it was really, it was kind of just surreal. It was the first, I've done negative splits in a marathon before. And that's obviously the way to go to make yourself feel good. But, and this race was not negative splits, but my last mile was like a high 530, and it was my fastest mile of the race. Really? So, yeah, and that's a fun way to run it because I knew I was finishing strong, you know, whereas normally I think you feel like you're just sort of hanging on at the end. And this one I actually felt like I was kind of kicking a little bit. So it made it for a really fun finish. Well, and is that because you knew in that last mile you had passed the first place person? So you were like, I got to go. 
I think partially, yes. And I think partially it was that I was pretty conservative the rest of the race. So I think I had a little bit more in the tank than I normally do at the end. Now, when you passed her, could you tell, like, I have more in me than she does right now? I'm, I've got this? No, but I had known all along what her splits were. And I knew at one point I was ahead, I was behind her by over two and a half minutes. Wow. So I knew that she was like slowing down a lot. Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I knew that in like maybe a 10 mile spread, I got caught her by like three minutes. So I knew that she must be dying. Well, understandably, most people are in sure. a marathon, but um, I knew that I was feeling pretty good and I knew she probably wasn't. So, um, yeah, but at the same point, yes, absolutely. Once you pass her, you're kind of running scared the last yeah. little bit. Is she going like, to have another surge? Yeah, that would be really embarrassing if I passed her and she passed me right back. You know, I was like, that's not going to happen. So, Did yeah, you ever look good. back behind you? I didn't. I didn't. No. Is I that was, on had, purpose? Yes. <laughs> I had a coach, um, my high school coach, who was like so strongly against looking back. Because he's like, you don't want to look back at your team. Like what you passed, you have to be confident because otherwise – they think that you're not, you know, mm-hmm. that you're dying, whatever, whatever, which but you're is running true. Scared. And I was running scared, but I didn't want her to know that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So were you kind of, so what kind of mental games do you play with yourself when you're kind of reeling her in? Like you're in, you know, you're in second place. You're probably going to mm-hmm. at least get second, but you know, she's slowing down. So how do you like talk yourself up to, um, catching her? In my mind, I kept doing like math equations. And yes, I did go to Georgia Tech for grad school. So this kind of all makes sense. But I was thinking of like fractions the whole time. And I'm just sitting there and I was like, okay, you're like 87, 89th of the way through this race or you're whatever. I mean, like all these random fractions and weird math that like makes no sense. But in my mind, it was like kind of getting me through it. And I was thinking of how much had already passed and being like, okay, you can do this. You've done a mile 5,000 times in your life. You know, you can get this. A 5.30 mile is not going to kill you. You know, so in your mind, you're just trying so hard to keep positive and have my pep talk be positive. Because I think once you start thinking about being tired, it just becomes such a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, or not believing in yourself and you start thinking you're exhausted and she's going to catch you again. It happens. So I was just trying so hard to be positive. So there's so many Olympic trials qualifiers at this race this year. 14 mm-hmm. across all awesome. four of the elite races. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and the conditions were great. I mean, for qualifying Perfect. for Boston too, mm-hmm. um, almost 20% of the finishers did qualify for Boston. So, you know, are, is this the course that you think is favorable to running super fast? Um. I would say, yes, the course is favorable to running well, but I also think it attracts serious athletes. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's sort of similar to grandma's and CIM, I would say, are kind of the same thing. You don't get a, it's not a course that is like a rock and roll race that tends to get more joggers or people doing their first time marathon. Sure, sure. This is a race that you're going to do because you want to run well. Mm-hmm. And you've probably, especially people that are not local, you've probably done your research. You've looked at the course profile. You've looked at the finish times in previous years. And you know that people come here to run well. Yes, the weather is ideal and often ideal. And yes, the course is great, but it also, you're getting a lot of committed runners that are out there. And I think that makes all the difference in the world. Now, that's a really, really good point because mm-hmm. I know I always say if someone's doing like a first time marathon and they think they might finish in like five hours or something, go to Chicago, go to, exactly. you know, go to exactly. a big, big race. Um, but that's a really good point that you bring up. And, you know, the weather it really is normally really good. Right. And I think, I think for a committed runner that you have a set time goal in mind, the weather's so huge. I think for somebody that's doing your first time marathon and you just want to finish the darn thing, having those big races with the bands and the crowds along the whole way that are like screaming and yelling, that's so much more important. But if you're trying to qualify for Boston, let's say, I don't care about the crowds as much as I care about 45 degrees, you know, or you care about the flat course or whatever it would be. Yeah. Now, interesting that you now hold the course record as a master's runner because it's so funny because before you, it was Alana Hadley and she was like 18. The youngest ever. Yeah. Yeah. But before her, it was Colleen DeRook and she was like 45. 
she was a master's too. I know. So it kind of gets people at different ends of the spectrum, I guess. Yeah. And I don't know if that's like totally random or what, but the, I mean, the half course, um, we, there was a lot of Olympic trials qualifiers running the half as well. There was in this year, they, um, did a trials bonus and I believe it was a thousand dollars maybe if you, yeah. which is awesome. And they did it for the half too, which they hadn't done in previous years. In previous years, they had given the bonus to people that qualified out of the marathon, but they tightened the qualifying standards this year. USATF did. And the qualifying standards for the half is a lot more difficult than it used to be. And as a result, they decided to, if you qualified for the half at Indy, you would also get that bonus. Okay. So what's, do you know what the time is now for the half? When, one thirteen. Okay, and is the full? What's the full now? The full is easier. They um, it's two forty five. Okay, and as a as a long distance runner, you think, in your experience, running a two forty five is easier than running a one thirteen? I think it's significantly easier. Yeah. What's your half marathon PR? My half is a high one one thirteen thirty maybe something in one thirteens. Yeah, it's fast, but I mean it's. My, I think my full marathon time like equates a little bit better. I think mm-hmm. it's a little bit stronger, but I tend to get better as the distance gets longer. Now, do you have to run? Do you, do people have to break one thirteen, or do, can they go? You have to you have to break one thirteen. Okay, just like you have to break two forty five. Yeah, and last time I believe it was break one fourteen. I think okay. is what it was last. That sounds time. right to me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they tighten that up a little bit. So you've qual you've ran in four trials. I did. I, my first one was 2008 in Boston. Okay. And then I did um, Houston in 2012. And then LA is in 16. And then I'm most excited about 2020 because it's going to be in Atlanta. Atlanta. Oh, which, yes. Yes. So we are in my, I run for the Atlanta Track Club and for Mizuno. And Atlanta Track Club is who is putting on the race, which we are just so excited about. There's a preview race this spring that we'll do. It's a criterium course and a preview race. We'll do one of the loops. So it's a big, big, big deal here for our city. We're just so excited about it. That is so exciting. Well, yeah, I am definitely going to try to plan something around with my podcast around then and come out for it. That just sounds that would so be fun. awesome. Yeah. Atlanta's a great, great, great running city. So it just gets the support from everybody. I mean, we do Peachtree every year here and the track club puts that on, but then there's also just multiple other races every weekend and fabulous places to train here and lots and lots and lots and lots of hills. So Atlanta has a lot of really strong runners. Okay. So tell me the trials course, is that going to be hilly or the actual, yeah, the trials. Yeah. They haven't officially announced it yet. Okay. So I can't speak a hundred percent to what it will be. There's not, there's really very little you could do in Atlanta without hills, but I know that, you know, they'll temper it. It's not going to be terrible. Okay. Yeah. And you'll have like a hometown advantage. Everybody will know you. Right. I know. I I was talking to somebody about it and they're like, you could sleep in your own bed. And I was like, I don't know. I have two little kids. I don't know if that's an advantage or not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like who knows what you never, you can't go to bed at night thinking someone's not going to wake me up. No matter how old your kids are, you just don't know. Uh, and my children still like love to crawl in the bed with us. And every night, like a different one crawls yes. in. And you're just like, oh, what a wonderful visitor. <laughs> I know. Like, why are you here? I love you so much, but please I go away. I love you so much. Stop kicking me. <laughs> yes, but, yeah. I know. We yeah. have that issue as well. I'm like, why is my six-year-old still coming into my room? You are. You should be eliminated from this zoo. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My husband's like, it's not going to be forever. And I was like, I don't know. It kind of feels like it. So we'll see. I know the struggle is real now for real tell me about LA because that was so hot and so many people dropped out LA I did too I dropped out okay it was a disaster for me um it was just such an odd race because um you know we knew it was going to be warm but it was really miserable it was really hot and really sunny and it was just terrible I was running and I felt like I was running fantastic for about my first eight or 10 miles and my training had gone so well and I was just going to do amazing. It was just going to be my day until it wasn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then all of a sudden, like I started getting dizzy and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to die. Like, you know how you get that all of a sudden? I was like, I am going to pass out right here and there. And I was like, no, I'm not, you know, and then I'm trying to talk myself into it. I'm like, I don't feel that bad. It's going to be okay. I'm going to make it. It's just everybody goes through tough times. And I was like, 
this is really early to be going through tough times. So anyway, I think it was around, I've pretty much blocked that race out very purposely, <laughs> but I think it was around like 16 or something. I just stepped off and I was like, it is not my day. So, um, yeah, it was really disappointing because I felt like my training had gone really well, but it was just a tough race for a lot of us out there that day. How did you get over? I mean, cause you're obviously not the kind of person that just drops out of a race no. and, and neither are the other women that did no, that day, no, no. but yeah. how did you get over that heartbreak of making that decision? I mean, I felt really sorry for myself for like 24 hours. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, you know, I felt like it was okay to be like a pain in the neck and weepy for a few minutes, you know, and then like I had to move on. Like we had a trip to Legoland planned with my kids and we were going to the, <laughs> to the zoo and we were doing all sorts of other stuff. And it was like, okay, enough about you. Like the race didn't go as planned. Move on. You know, you've done, I was, I guess, in a better situation than most because I'd already finished two trials, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, it wasn't great. It was kind of embarrassing. It wasn't what you wanted to have happen. But at the same point, there's a lot worse things going on in the world than like dropping out of a marathon, you know, like totally. at the end of the day, nobody really cares and it doesn't really matter. So um, that being said, I kind of had thought going into LA that that would be my last trials. You know, I was like, I'm, I'm old enough. This is good. I'm done. I've done enough of them. And it was after that, I was like, I'm not stopping on that. <laughs> I can't <laughs> finish there. I mean? there. That is, I'm not ending right there. So it was good that it gave me the motivation to try to qualify for another trials, which I did last year in New York and then did again this time in Indy. What did you run in New York last year? I ran a 240.03 maybe. And that's a hard Something course. Something like that, yeah. It was hard. It was a... Um, New York's interesting for elite women. I think it is so fantastic for the women right at the front because they have so much crowd support. They've got the trucks, they've got everything. And then the people right about where I am, you're kind of in no man's land, right? Oh, sure. So did um, you run with the elites? I did. Yeah. I started with the elites and had a pretty good first three miles <laughs> and having a good three miles in a marathon is not something you should really be proud of. Right. Like that's kind of expected. But at the first water stop, um, I got kind of tripped up by one of the other athletes and fell oh, and got, yeah. And so it got like really kind of beat up and like kind of, it was just sort of a mess. So I ended up getting up as quickly as I could and like sort of trying to chase back to the pack, pack where I was at. But at that point it was like, you know, you just sort of lose your momentum. So from essentially, I would guess it would be about mile six on, I ran by myself at New York. Yeah. You so, know, yeah. I watched the finish this year from the grandstands and mm -hmm. it just seemed like, you know, the women finishing around where you're saying you finished yeah. the, with the elite mm -hmm. start. It's almost like it's so quiet, even in the grandstands as people are coming. I'm like, we, we should be really celebrating these people. They're right. still running really fast. But, you know, after those like top 10, 15 come through, it starts kind of getting quiet. Well, the excitement there is obviously at the leaders as it should be, you know, and that's yeah. where it's really exciting. And then after that, you've got people are really excited for the men's leaders to come in. So where I was, was kind of that in between where you're like, Oh my goodness, I hope I don't get passed by the top men. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, Cause that wouldn't be good. How much time right? do you have in between then? Not a lot. I think I, they were maybe three minutes, four minutes behind. Oh I gosh, finished. they were closing so, like, in. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't have time to mess around or you're going to get passed. And I know that because that happened to me one time because I ran New York a few years back and um, at the time I was coaching, I was a volunteer coach for a high school cross country team and all the kids were watching me on TV, which was seemed so sweet, except they're all watching me get passed by the men's oh, leader. Right, right. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, because they just keep the cameras on the leader. So that's your hope of getting TV time is if you're getting passed by the men. Right. At least they could say they saw me and their coach was there just getting humbled and embarrassed, but she was there. <laughs> It seems like you're you since you ran that 240 in New York and then you ran the 237 in Monumental at Monumental like the 245 was no problem for you like even if you had a bad day. No, I mean if I break it down as a per mile run, I know running a 245 is always well within what I'm capable of at least right now. But that being said, a marathon isn't always what you're capable of, right? Like anything can and often will happen in a marathon. And I feel like you just have to be prepared. You can never say like, oh, a 245 is easy because it's, you know, nine minutes off of my PR because nothing in a marathon is easy. You know, at certain days, 
running seven minute miles would be difficult. So you just can never necessarily count on anything. I don't think it's so weird how that happens. Like you're like, how, (laughs) how is the seven minute mile easy today? And how is a nine minute mile hard on another day? It's just like your body. Exactly. You never know what exactly is. You can train and you can work hard and you can do what you think is everything right. But sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. All right, Lori. Well, let's, um, let's wrap up the show with some into the podcast questions. Perfect. Um, I'm so excited about the trials being in Atlanta. You are just like, that's going to be like the biggest party of the year for you. I can't even wait. Yeah. I have friends that'll come in from Charlotte for it and family that'll come in for it. And it's just going to be so exciting. Oh, that's so cool. All right, Lori, what is one thing personally or professionally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Oh, I have a group of like three girlfriends, um, from Charlotte and my husband that all have talked about breaking three in the marathon. And I have offered all of them that I would love to pace them any day to break three. And we haven't put it together yet to do it. So that is like a goal I have is that I want to be able to do that with my friends and my husband. That is so fun. Now, is he breaking three for the first time or is he pacing with you? He is breaking. He has never broke three in a marathon. And the guy has run a four minute mile. I mean, he should be able to break three, but it's just never happened. So and, you know, he's not a marathoner. He's, you know, 6'3", 200 pounds. He's a big guy, but he would be able to do it. And I just, I would like to see him do it with me. So oh, it'd be fun. that's so fun. What a great goal. Yeah. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Ooh, I got, hmm. Do you ever um, read, do the Reese Witherspoon book club? No. Do you know what that is? Oh, my gosh. I think she's so adorable. And she has the best book reviews. And so I always... I'd love to say that I have like a little book club that I do at home and meet with people every week, but I just don't have time for that. But I do follow her recommendations and I just finished one on hers. It was called where the crowd ads sing. And it was amazing. Okay. Every month she has a different book and they're always really good, but that was good. And then she had another one called the other woman. And that one was also awesome. I should follow along that list because I'm always looking for books to read. They have really, really good ones. And a lot of them are easy reads. Some of them are a little more challenging, but they're all fun. All right. What is one message you'd like to send to the world? That's a big statement. I know. Um, It's big. I don't really know if I have a message to, like, send out to the whole wide world. I mean, I could send something to your listeners, I guess. That's Um, good. Okay. That's good. Is that good enough? Okay. In terms of that, I mean... I think in terms of running and stuff, just keep going and one step at a time. I mean, if I had told my 20 year old self in 20 years, you'd still be running marathons and you would have run these times and run however many marathons, I would have never believed it. But if you break everything down into like one training cycle at a time, one run at a time, one season at a time, I think it's all so doable. And a lot of little goals just can make a lot of big things happen. Ooh, that's good. Good job. Thanks. Way to pull that answer together. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I certainly don't have a message to send to the whole world, so that's going to have to do. Usually people say be kind or, you know, something like that. Okay, <laughs> okay that's good too. Be kind. Be kind. That Everybody got that from Ellen. Uh, well, it's, it's a good one. Yeah. Can't I, go wrong with that. I love that though because it, it can be overwhelming to kind of like think of the whole puzzle at once. But you yeah. got to really break it down and do one season at a time, one run at a time, one workout at a time. Right. Just little steps, I think, you know, get you where you want to be. Well, Lori, congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for talking. It was fun. Yeah, so fun. And I am going to put it in my little head, my calendar, that I will see you in 2020 at the Atlanta Trials. Because I'm going to come out and do something there. Perfect. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. And good luck to you with everything with your dad as well next week. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye, Lori. Bye. Thanks so much, you guys, for listening today. Thank you, Lori, for coming on the show and sharing your story. You guys can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhines626. Connect with me there. I love connecting with listeners over there. You can find me on Twitter, Lindsay Hine. You can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. We have a group over there as well, and that is a great place to connect and get to know the other listeners of the show. I actually just met a random listener, Jen, through the Facebook group and got to go on a run with her in Austin. So it's a really good way to get connected over there. 
If you're looking for more ways to support this show, my work that I do every week behind the show, you guys can head over to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lindsayhine, and I provide monthly bonus episodes over there. So if you signed up now, you'd have a log of probably close to 30 episodes in there by now. And those episodes can go directly to your podcast feed. All right, guys, have a great Friday. Have a great rest of the weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.